Hello and welcome to Talking Money. My name is Ben Trainer, editor of the Daily Reckoning, and I'm joined by my colleague Sean Keyes of the Risk and Reward e-letter. Hello, Sean. Hello. We're going to be talking about something which neither of us spends a great deal of our time on, but each of us has a keen interest in it because it's a topic which you'll have seen splashed across the financial pages often, uh, no pun intended. Um, And the reason I say no pun intended is because the topic today is oil. Um, Yes, thank you, Sean, for snickering at my very, very poor joke. Um, Yeah, oil. Uh, This was intended to be a deeply researched piece of information, but speaking for myself, I've had a crazy afternoon uh, where if it hasn't been one thing, it's been another. And other than some notes I managed to scribble down yesterday and a few stories which we can dig into in a little bit, um, I haven't done the prep that I intended to. So, Sean, I'm very much reliant on your wisdom um, to carry me. Don't be so modest, Ben. <laughs> it's not modest you know, to me, I swear. You know um, lots about oil. I think I we should start, uh, let's start with the IEA, the International Energy Agency, which yesterday I saw put out its monthly report. And they are forecasting, they're forecasting a bit of a slowdown in oil global oil demand growth. Um, over the course of the next year. Um, now, Sean, you've been writing about oil. Well, you wrote about oil yesterday. Um, is this a worry, given that we've had a bit of an oil glut for most of this year and a good part of the recent past? Well, I guess uh, I just want to start by saying I've only looked at oil, the, oil, the supply side of the oil market uh, because... That's the fun. That's the fun side. That is uh, the fun side. I'll be honest yeah, with you. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, you can like you can yeah. pick it apart. Well, this oil demand number, Yeah, I mean this this oil demand number. It does tend to move about quite a lot. Um, whenever I dip into this topic and look at this, it uh, it's it's um, you know, it's not the most stable variable, and of course, it is a forecast as well, so it could well be wrong. But it does tie in with the idea which we're hearing more and more about, and we've covered it in the Daily Reckoning this week: this secular stagnation idea, the idea that growth is anemic. For me, that does tie into the idea that oil demand is not exactly going to be stellar. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, if look. Uh Oil demand is tied in very closely with like global GDP growth, uh, so you can't. I mean, it's it's almost like a it's a, it's a truism to say that uh, a slower economy is going to lead mean lead to a lower oil price. Um, but Ben, but I've I've come up with some I found some very clever analysis of the supply side of the market, which I think is uh, tells is illuminating, and I think it tells uh, an interesting story about what's happening and what's been driving the, the oil price over the last two years. Do you want to hear about it? I do indeed. Go on. I wrote a bit about it yesterday in Risk and Reward, and uh, it's, it's actually it's you know a hat tip to uh, a fellow called Arthur Berman, who's a geologist. Uh, he published it on a blog called Naked Capitalism, which is Eve Smith's blog. Yes, um, I've read this article. It's um, it, the headline, uh, Oil Industry About to be Burned Again by Fallen Oil Prices. Is it that one? It's that one. Yeah. Yes, this is a very bearish headline, and it's quite a bearish article, but there's a bit of a bullish nugget, which uh, we'll probably get onto in a second. 
All right, well, you can try and spot the bullish nugget. You can come back to it. Um, so the, it's, just, it's just an interesting uh, bit of analysis about uh, how the shale industry has sort of taken over as, as becoming the, the, the marginal producer in, in the oil market um, and like how that has sort of played out over the last year or two. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a little bit difficult to tell without charts, but uh, I'm going to do my best to describe what's happening and hopefully people can follow me. Um, so okay, the start. The start. The story begins in, at the end of 2014. Uh, the oil price is around $100. Uh, it has been up at around that uh, that level for many years, uh, and that's the way people were used. To, that's the, the situation everyone was used to. Uh, Saudi Arabia decides in November 2014 to like open the taps to start pumping a lot more oil, uh, and it's speculated that the reason that they did that was because they wanted to to crash the oil price and they wanted to get all these upstart shale producers who have been like eating their city eating into their market share. They want to basically bankrupt all those guys because those guys are extracting oil from places in, you know, in Texas and in, and in Nebraska, which is a bit more expensive to, to drill. Uh, and so the Saudis reckon if, if they can crash the oil price, if they can hold these guys underwater for, for a period, they'll go out of business. Uh, they'll kill the shale industry and then they can regain control of the, of the market and make more and money. It wasn't just that the shale producers would go out of business, it was the people who'd backed them financially would also be burned and wouldn't want to do so again. Yes, that's a good, that's exactly right, because it leads on to the next point. So, so yeah, uh, the, the, so the, oil, the oil price was $100. Saudis uh, crashed the market. Uh, so then over the next couple of months, from November 2014 until January 2015, it falls dramatically from $100 down to uh, around uh, $40, $45. Big drop. Um, what happened, though, is once the oil price sort of stabilized at around that $45 mark, uh, that's, uh, which is, okay, at, at that point, investors in the shale, in the shale business uh actually found some confidence and they decided instead of like retreat instead of retreating from the business they started to plow more money into it and and they financed a lot more rigs and a lot more drilling so uh, the second part of the story is from that period in january 2015 when the oil price was around 45 dollars what you saw at the same time was a, a kind of a, a recovery, I guess, in investment in, in the shale industry and capital investment and more rigs coming on stream. Mm. So that, that happens then for a few months. Then it lasts until around April or so. The oil price reacts to all this extra supply and it crashes again. And it sets off in a sort of round two of its falls. This time it falls all the way down to below $30, uh, which is, and it bottoms out at around $30, around $30, let's say, in January of this year, January of 2016. And the funny thing is that you saw the exact same pattern repeating itself, where, uh, okay, the, the shale investors, while prices were falling, they, they stopped investing, obviously, in extra capacity. They stopped investing in new rigs. But once the price stopped falling, once it sort of stabilized and found a floor, investors piled back into the market again. They started, they opened their wallets. You're, you're basically talking about stock market investors uh, and they financed a whole bunch of new drilling and a whole bunch of new rigs. And then... Well, stock market cons- investors, but also these companies have taken on a, a, a titanic amount of debt. Um, yes. So it's also credit market investors that are shoveling cash in their direction. 
Yeah, it goes. Okay, you're you're right. It goes both ways. Uh, in, in specifically, you talk about the stock market. An interesting nugget from the story is that uh, the uh, basically these explorers raised more money for, have raised more money so far this year in 2016 than they did in all of 2013, which is when the oil price yeah when the oil price was at its at its highest. So is this or, just at, bottom at fishing then? This is just people saying this is probably the bottom. I want to get in. You know, that's that's how I make sense of it anyway. But. Wow, that's that's quite a remarkable start, isn't it? It's crazy, and yeah, I, I agree. The only, that's the only way you can make sense of it. Uh, what they're doing, what the investors are financing, uh, not just any oil, like a wild kind of oil explorers. Uh, there's a kind of a, there's a big spread of what kind of companies are getting funded. Uh, the companies which are getting funded are are sort of lower cost shale producers, and they tend to be in West Texas in the Permian Basin. That region has sort of uh, more cheaply accessible oil. Uh, and those are the types of businesses that their the investors are happy to back. But then, go taking the taking the story one step further, uh, Mister Mister Berman reckons that those guys aren't going to see their money again. Uh, you mentioned debt. Uh, basically, the entire industry is very, on average, is very very highly indebted now as a result of everything it's been through. Uh, so much so. That if you if you look at the kind of the biggest rig operators, who take them an, among that group, we take them an average of ten years to pay off all their debt, and that's if all of their cash made from their oil and gas sales were used exclusively to pay back debt. Which obviously that, it can't be. Which can't do. So that's that's you know no money for but it, you know, no it does give you a salary, good measure capital of, investments. Yeah, it is a, nothing. It gives you a good measure of uh, of how up to their next they are. Um, presumably, though, they have to keep on pumping to generate what cash flow they can in order to, to uh, at least service the debts that they've built up. I mean, they can't just shut down and wait for a higher oil price. Right. Uh, well, that's that's where the tension comes from, and that's where, I guess, where uh, the Mr. Berman's headline comes from, which is, to, to remind you, going back to the start, the, the headline was, the oil industry is about to be burned again by falling oil prices. He reckons that these, these companies won't survive. Uh, and he reckons that the that the consequent uh, whatever reduction in supply is going to. Uh, I'm sorry that the the, the the massive expansion in supply is, is going to be what crashes. Yeah, it's going to it's going to once again flood the market. We'll get the we'll get the glut uh, that will that will persist and be exacerbated and will depress prices. Um, yeah, exactly. I just want to mention something because you mentioned the rig count before, and mm-hmm. one of the things that's uh, slightly bugged me sometimes is when I've seen people go like they look at the the rig count. It's usually the Baker Hughes rig count. They tends to be the one that everyone follows. Um, I don't I don't know if they're the only one who are tracking this, but basically it's the number of rigs that are operating in the US, and I think they look at Canada as well. But they basically said there's this many rigs at the moment that are drilling pumping i forget which mm-hmm. but basically it's used as an indicator that um, and the idea is that if the rig count goes up that is a leading indicator of an increase in supply and a bearish signal for the oil price and vice versa the problem i have with it recently is that you've seen people say oh the rig count's been falling which they were saying in earlier this year it's actually been going up more recently but they say the rig, the rig count's been falling. What is masked by the raw number is the increase in efficiency of each rig. And I was chatting 
last night on the phone to an oil and gas engineer. Uh, he's, he's a friend, by the way. It's not uh, it's not a chat line or something. Uh, someone <laughs> I actually know. It was a personal call, but we yeah, happened yeah. to talk about this because he knows about it, and I was interested. And he was saying it used to be the case that you'd you'd you drill for tight oil, shale oil. You'd set up your rig. You drill downwards. You get the oil out. You know, and then you go somewhere else and do it again. Whereas now you'll drill down, and then you'll turn ninety degrees, and you start drilling around it. So you so much more efficiently, you can tap into you know more reserves, mm-hmm. and a raw rig count number doesn't capture that. So I guess what I'm saying is, be careful if you're reading something which says, "Don't worry about oil; it's great." If the if the only argument there is the rig count's going down, you know. Be skeptical of that. Treat that with kid gloves because uh, it's not, you know, comparing this year's rig count to last year, they're not the same rigs necessarily. You know, the and technology you, is improving. I seem to remember you telling me before as well, Ben, that, that uh, one of the consequences of the of the collapse in the oil price has been that these 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 drillers have had to focus on productivity. Absolutely. Uh, and so, you know. When new, when like necessity when, is the mother of invention. The necessity invention. is the mother of invention, and so when, so like when a new rig gets added on in like say you know late 2016, uh, that's a much, a much more productive rig than might have been there been the case in 2014. Absolutely, um, yeah. and that's about as much as I know on the technical side. You know, it's a very high level understanding. Obviously, I I, I don't know how a rig works. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not an engineer, but I'm reliably informed uh, that. This is uh, this is what's going on, and so it does make it a bit tricky. Um, it, it, it can make the, the analysis a bit tricky if you don't if you're not aware of that. Um, but I did say there was a bullish nugget uh, hidden in that very bearish um, article. Um, do you want to talk about it, or shall I? Because we both read it. Go for it, yourself. Okay, yeah, go for it. It was basically that because of the the epic battle that's been going on between uh, OPEC and, and in particular Saudi Arabia on the one hand and uh, the shale producers on the other, which has led to this fluctuation in price but has pushed it down to the point where $100 a barrel is a distant memory. Because of that epic battle, what we've seen is a lot of the majors have been shelving big projects. And by big projects, I mean things like like developing deep water reserves, drilling in the Arctic, that kind of thing. Now, the point that this Naked Capitalism article makes is that while shale is a very responsive form of production and that you can get it up and running quite quickly and respond to the price, which is why we're seeing this this. Or this uh, yo-yo effect. Mm-hmm. The reserves themselves are not that big. If you want reserves, you don't necessarily get them from shale, um, not in, on a massive scale. You need to go and develop them in the deep sea, in the Arctic, in other in other places. You know, to get mm-hmm. the kind of scale reserves that say the Saudis have had for years. Now, that's not something you want to put a lot of money into because it costs an awful lot of money to develop these reserves. So those things being put on hold but what it looks like it could be teeing up is at some point down the line there's a gap and the question is is does does that gap get filled and if it isn't because you know by the time by the time existing 
large-scale reserves are, are, are starting to come offline, mm-hmm. um, if there's nothing to come along to replace them, does that gap get filled, or does the price have to rise in order to clear the market? Um, and I found that quite interesting, because it's most... It's the most bearish headline I've read in a summer of bearish oil headlines, and uh, yet, it's, yet it left me feeling, well, there is still a bit of a case um, if you're patient. Uh, and from what I'm reading as well, the oil majors are really not in a position to, to do any capex at, the, at this point. Uh, a lot of them are borrowing money just to cover their dividends. Yes. They're, uh, they're, they're feeling a lot of pain, as you would expect. They're feeling mm-hmm. more pain, arguably, than they were even this time last year because they and, – and Sean, I know you've been reading about this – but they were getting a bit of a tailwind from the downstream business and now they're not so much. Yeah, shall we move on to that? Yeah. Okay, let's talk about, let's talk about the majors for a little bit. Um, so we've been talking about shale, shale oil and its effects on the supply side and we're going to move on to talk about the majors. Um, so when um, when the oil price collapsed, the majors obvious. Okay, the majors were obviously stung by the fact that they're drilling some drilling oil, which is uh, worth a lot less in the market. But they they also got a a sort of a benefit, which kind of compensated from it for it, uh, because one half of their business is basically about drilling oil out of the ground, and the other half of their business is actually about refining oil and making it into a product like petrol that you can sell. So when the oil price fell, they lost out on one side of the business, but they gained on the other side because uh, they got they had wider profit margins. Basically, the, the, they were able to, the, the raw material for, for petrol became a lot cheaper for them. So that, as a consequence, that's, that's how a lot of the majors sort of tried to weather the storm over the last year and a half is that they've, they kind of plowed into uh, producing more petrol, more refined oil products, uh, enjoying their, these, these wider margins. So what, but then of course, you know, what happens when you increase the supply of something, the price falls. What, what we saw is that uh, the, 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 the petrol price, the gasoline price, sort of followed on from the oil price, maybe with a few months of a delay for, because of this mechanism. Uh, now the petrol price has shrunk, has collapsed, has fallen right, right down, mirroring the gasoline price, or sorry, mirroring the crude oil price. Uh, and now the oil majors don't have those generous, those wide margins which they had at the beginning of this of this cycle. Uh, and now they're in even even more serious trouble because the other half of their business is in just as much trouble as the the downstream part of their business is just as much trouble as the upstream part of their business. And that's going to have a knock-on effect onto the onto crude onto the upstream business i would imagine because um i've been reading rather a lot about how downstream products uh the storage facilities for gasoline for example they are filling up and it's very similar to the story that was around a few months back when it was crude storage was was filling up and you were hearing all those stories about tankers that were just parked offshore waiting to get into a refiner because there was a backlog um and then crude was was filling up in in storage uh here there and everywhere and there was this glut now you're now i'm reading a bit more about a glut in the downstream products but presumably that's going to work its way back up the chain because if you've got too much gasoline 
you don't need to refine as much, which means you don't need to buy as much crude, which means the demand for that crude is going to... That's right. And, the, and so, and so the margins are narrower in the, on, the, on the downstream refining business, then you're, you're going to be inclined to to refine less of it, and you're going to be less inclined to, 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 add, to, your stock, to add to the stockpiles. I've got another story here, um, which I think speaks to the, the confusion uh, that there is that, that I certainly feel whenever I take a look at the oil market and I am minded of something that uh, Gary White of Charles Stanley said on this very podcast which is anyone who tries to predict the direction of the oil price is a fool uh, because it is such a, a complicated mosaic but the headline here is a Bloomberg story $60 I do have a number written down in front of me which I was hoping to unveil at the end of the podcast <laughs> well you're a, fan of your, you're a fan of your big calls um, and so and you're also a fool Sean um, <laughs> but uh, I, I won't be stopping you from doing that but uh, now this is a Bloomberg story it says uh, $60 is the new $50 for US oil drillers waiting for rebound now basically that story is that and it it kind of harks back to the first one the naked capitalism story we talked about and the bad behavior of drillers was that the price falls the shale drillers go it costs us more to produce oil at this price than we can sell it for we're going to stop but as soon as the price goes over a certain level they go happy days it's the sun's the sun's out again let's go out and drill and of course that crashes the price again and it gets on Certainly, people in the industry it gets on their nerves a lot. I mean, it's cool. <laughs> that's putting it mildly. Um, so, I mean, I didn't. I wouldn't set a lot of store by this because reading the story, it's one of those newswire stories where it's a lot of quotes and not really an awful lot else. But basically, there's a lot of people talking a good game, saying, "No, no, we've learned our lesson. We're going to wait for sixty dollars." Which you know, there's you know, one, there's a sense of I believe it when I see it, and two, it's like, well, is that really going to change anything or is that just going to delay the point at which you you know pull the same stunt Jump out of but, it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, like I, okay, I, I know it sounds like we're just talking just talking random facts about the oil industry and, and like and, and we're not giving uh, actionable useful advice um, because it's, it is it is so hard to predict the oil price but I, I think, think like, I, I think being aware that it's that it's such a folly is is quite a useful thing to, to keep in your head. Yeah, I guess yeah, it'll stop you from making stop you from uh, acting stupidly. Uh, but there is there is something happening here. That, like what what we're talking about here is all, all throughout this podcast is like say on the supply side of the market, you had this big shock which kind of upset the 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 old sort of equilibrium, the old balance that was in the market, which had start, started in November twenty fourteen, and it sort of gradually like unwinding and echoing its way through the market and it's not it's not didn't all happen at once you know it didn't happen in a very simple like what like linear way where uh you know saudis cut sorry uh, opened the taps cut the price and the the shale industry went bust but you what you did see was like um a sort of a, a like a, a first a collapse in investments in shale then uh, an, an increase in investment in shale then another collapse and then a smaller increase and it's sort of it's 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 winding its way through that market it's going to result in Eventually, in investors and in and in, uh, and in you know bondholders losing some money, and, and eventually the shale market will hit a new equilibrium. And we're, talking about, and we're talking about the exact same thing in, in terms of the majors, where you know it started out where that they they compensated for losing the the upstream revenue by plowing into extra refining, extra refining capacity and more downstream revenue, 
and that that's winding through the system now. The downstream revenue is 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 collapsing, and I think we're 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 coming to a point, which is, I guess ultimately through talking about bankruptcies uh, and a consolidation, where this where we come to a, a kind of a where the system hits balance again. So that's 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 basically what's happening. Even though it's taking quite a few years, maybe a bit longer than Saudi Arabia expected. But will it just hit balance? And this is an open question. But will it just hit balance, or? Because it's never been a market for a long so for a long time now where this price has been particularly steady. You know, it got up to one hundred and forty seven dollars a barrel in two thousand eight, then collapsed. I think it got into the thirties at one point, then back up to above a hundred, then back down into the twenties. Mm. You know, so is it well, reasonable to expect it's going to kind of settle down? Or when, when I say balance, Ben, I, I mean what I, I guess what I mean is not not that the the oil price will stabilize you know and at a, at a level and stay there oh no uh, i just what, wanted to make that absolutely clear uh, that you're not you're not expecting that yeah well what what i mean i guess is that, you know the likes of the likes of uh, chevron and bp aren't going to actually have to borrow money just to cover their dividend mm. you know that's that's unsustainable and that's that's what i call a market out of balance or for example the the shale drillers that we were talking about earlier uh, which are drowning in debt and will have, have frankly a very little chance of repaying it that looks to me like a market out of balance too. Um, so I guess I'm talking more about balance in the financial sense, balance in the sense of um, that there will be a shakeout in, in this, among these uh, among these drillers and uh, kind of a, a more uh, solid, sustainable industry going forward. Let's talk about a different kind of balance, seeing as you, you, you used the word several times there. Um, <laughs> let's talk about a power balance. Now this is a this is a sort of me thinking out loud, and it might not make an awful lot of sense. But we've heard, also, and I've, I've certainly heard a few people saying, read a few articles that are predicting the or talking about the death of OPEC. OPEC's lost its power; they can't control the price. Um, shales ended that. Now that does seem to have been the case, and the fear that that I had, and I, I wrote about it uh, about a year or so back. Um, was that every time the price goes up, shale will turn the taps again, and you know, that's taken the control away from, from Saudi. However, is that a permanent thing? Because if the market does come back into balance, um, might might that be... Might that hand some power back to OPEC? Um, and I'm thinking particularly, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, if there is a point, and if we're a few years away from it, but there is a point where there is a gap where there would have been large-scale reserves ready to come on stream, but because of the capital expenditure hiatus, they're not there. So when I was talking earlier about well, mm-hmm. how do we fill that, now in theory, that could, you know, that could be filled by the traditional big suppliers like Saudi Arabia because they have those reserves. But we know that for many, many years, they did not work the free market. They ran mm-hmm. it as a cartel. Um and it may still be in their interest to do that. So we may see a rise in the price for you know, a very old reason coming back into vogue and, come, and becoming feasible again. At the moment, it feels, and I don't want to get too kind of economics and nerdy about it, but it feels like there's a prisoner's dilemma game going on, where if Shale and OPEC had, had a meeting, they could probably help each other out quite a lot, but they're not incentivized to do that. They're both incentivized to cheat. I'm going to make my, my big call of the week. Sean's, Sean's lock of the week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just uh, like, uh, like uh, OPEC, OPEC now is basically consists of like the, com- 
the individual countries which make up OPEC. Like OPEC as it used to mean as a sort of a unified body which which could actually determine prices and could actually use and that's been that's been dead and buried for up to ten years or more because basically basically Venezuela and to also Iran and to a lesser extent Nigeria were constantly cheating uh, and were uh, so they, they they basically lost the trust they lost the trust of one another and they lost the ability to to actually collude and to set prices so. Like when I think about OPEC now, I just think you know, basically big oil exporters, which are more or less independent. The, the, the big the big exporters who have the cheapest oil, but they don't. Even the biggest of them don't have the power to set the price anymore because they don't. They even like Saudi Arabia. But I'm gonna I'm gonna embarrass myself now because I don't know the exact number. But I would imagine it controls like you know a lot less than twenty percent of the of the global market. So yeah. I think that's. Uh, so what's your I big that, call? Uh, my big my big call is that uh, these guys aren't going to be able to to get to like as you said earlier on to to fill the gap to to come in and to uh, you know close controlled supply the way that they the way that they once were. I think that the, we're looking at permanently lower prices. You think we're why you're, you're interesting interesting. Um, as I've been reading about this this uh, this week, and as we've been discussing this, I am struck by by the amount of bearishness that has returned. I mean, I actually wrote a thing uh, not that long ago, uh, about three or four months ago, I think, um, about why oil analysts have suddenly started getting more bullish, um, and I have been I have been tempted to write pretty much the mirror image article which is why they've now got got bearish and you can probably set your watch by it as soon as i publish that the price will, will rocket mm-hmm. um but because uh, that's what happened last time in reverse but it does it does seem to me though that the the contrarian play and you don't do contrarian investments just for the sake of being contrarian but it can be a useful starting point the contrarian play is to find a way to get exposure to oil because you can make a really good case for not doing so but there might just be once all this you know inarguable pain and horribleness has lessened somewhat there might well be that it might well be that you see investors return to those shares because yeah. you know it's just this, i mean i don't want to call it a turnaround as such cause it's a bit of a cliche but it, it does strike me as the kind of the kind of thing where you may well find something at a price that you're not going to see in a couple of years because you know obviously it depends on you know the state of the stock market generally but you might not see it in a couple of years be other things equal because you know it can only get so bad and if and 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 those players who are still standing you know the worst will at some point be behind them now, whether, well, that, yeah. whether we've reached that point, we don't know. I certainly don't know. But. Like those guys who are financing the shale companies this year and pouring uh, pouring their money into the market, uh, I guess like the, 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 the secret is or the thing to watch out for is uh, make, sure that you, the, uh, make sure that you're not investing in something which is very, very heavily indebted, uh, which, and which, which, is, uh, which would leave you at the back of the queue. If, if, and with those, you know, 
Yeah, I mean we've land, we've got to, yeah, I mean we've got a couple of oil plays in the strategic intelligence portfolio. Uh, they're not shale producers. I hasten to add. Um, and Sean, I'm, I imagine you're not too surprised to hear that, given that uh, you you know David as I do, and he's he's very much. Um, you know, he likes to buy things that are hated, um, not just willy nilly. You know, he does, you know, he does the work. But uh, yeah, so that that's why I made the comment about it being a kind of potentially good contrarian hunting ground because yeah, the sentiment is awful right now. Um, that's the, the that's my takeaway from this this exercise is that the sentiment has become pretty ugly again. Um, and if, if David were on the line, I think yeah, he'd he'd be saying that. Uh, it's at times like this that he's made his biggest returns. So don't do your David Stevenson impression. Don't do that. You wouldn't like that. My famous David Stevenson impression, <laughs> which you don't actually have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, will we wrap it up for there? For there, Ben. Yep. Um, thanks very much for joining me, Sean. And uh, as ever. I am. Yeah. I am hoping at some point, uh, I don't know where, but I am hoping at some point to get an oil specialist onto the podcast uh, who, doubtless, will have more in-depth insight than I'm able to provide as a as a macroeconomist trying to look at it from that vantage point but uh, hopefully this has been informative it's uh, you know I guess the takeaway is that the sentiment is so horrible that uh, you know one wonders how it could get any worse <laughs> on that note on, the, on that on that cheery cheery worse. note have a great week thank you for listening